Welcome to Beer Net Radio. Listen to on every continent except Antarctica. B double Beer. On my Beer desk, Net I just had Radio. my laptop, you know, oh. and I'm like, I've had this screen and sitting in my garage since November in my storeroom in a box. And it's a beautiful giant screen. I'm like, what? I just kind of refound it. And I was like, I should set it up. And so I set it up and you can, the camera is not nearly as good as you can tell <laughs> as my laptop camera. That just shows you how Mac has mastered the camera game. Because mm-hmm. um, it's like a, you know, a cheap LG display but you look like nice and tan so maybe you've got like the the mar-a-lago feature on there (laughs) yeah it does make me look tanner than i actually am yeah i have the bar i have the tan feature i turned on the filter um so anyway uh a lot going on uh how about that monster (laughs) crazy yeah monster celsius Mm -hmm. uh we have to become pros in the non-alc world and the spirits, just the entire beverage world. It's sort of inevitable, right? But, you know, Harry, I think I mentioned this to you the other day. It's like I was a huge Celsius fan. And now when I see it, I feel it's so silly. I'm not a distributor. I don't have any skin in the game there. But now when I see it at HEB, I'm like, beer distributors <laughs> built your brand and you're just flipping it to Pepsi. Just like <laughs> your starter wife. They were yeah, just starter, starter wives wife. for you. Yes. But then you take it a step back. Your dad was a Pepsi distributor, right? So we wouldn't yeah. be here if it weren't for Pepsi. <laughs> well, I like to think that I made it on my own, Jen. But yeah, sure, he, sure, he sure, did. Sure you did. <laughs> he helped me along for sure. Got no, me a, but I mean, a college you, degree. Yeah, no, but, but you came up in the distribution yeah. industry, right? It was your family business. Right. Right. And, and, and what was, you know, hi, Jordan. What was interesting, you know, about that, that, yeah, my, you know, my maternal grandfather was a Pepsi bottler and my father was a beer distributor, but they weren't together. Like <laughs> they were separate, you know, separate facilities, separate, right. you know, separate everything. They didn't even really talk. And, it, and it's interesting now that if they were still around today, they'd be on the same trucks. Um, yeah probably yeah but uh yeah back then it was anathema and and you know honestly between the two coke is the one that surprises me the most as being into beverage alcohol because you know if you go back to their ceo's years uh, zuega and uh, enrico and you know i'm sorry that's pepsi um zuega yeah i get it mixed up but coke is the one that was has always said we will never allow alcohol on our trucks Mm. you know i mean they're from atlanta and the baptist in the bible (laughs) belt and uh and I don't think it's a coincidence that Georgia is the most the most verbal state and declining blue clouds license. Um, yeah, this is a tangent of sorts, but I am interested to see how the monster brand comes across on the beast, because we know from from our nefarious back channels that it won't should not actually say monster, but we've heard that you will definitely know it's a monster product. So that will be an interesting needle for them to thread. Yeah, I imagine that the label cues, you know, the dripping M. Sure. Um, they'll the, the, the color green. I, I'm sure there'll be all those cues without actually saying monster in any big way. Right, Maybe Jordan? it'll be a B, a dripping B. Yeah. Or Unleashed. Yeah, I mean, probably. <laughs> I mean, you're, you know, I feel like I, I, well, I shouldn't say this on the air. Well, I'll say it. We'll cut it later. I've been shown the label uh, a couple right, of months right, ago. Right. And True. I just wish I could re- I didn't, remember. It, that's Yeah, the I wasn't like drunk or anything. I was just, I just Hi. don't remember things. But it, it definitely, I do remember that 
oh it's a mon- it looks like a monster label well yeah. that doesn't uh that doesn't bode well for the branding if it's a forgettable label yeah well With a name I, like the beast unleashed i know so. i know but yeah, i was too starstruck at the time uh because it was uh, it i should just shut up right now but i let's just say i'm a big fan of rodney's uh I, i'm a fan of what they've accomplished at monster i mean you know, they started with a sleepy little tea and and I, I don't remember their origin story, but I remember that it, it is really phenomenal that yeah. they can now buy Constellation if they wanted to. That's I mean, crazy. that's how big they are. And it's, you know, it's all truckers. almost it's all one brand. <laughs> yeah, it's all truck. I mean, I don't and know. Truckers you, and Bill. Well, I mean, that's 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 the thing is that they they really don't. I mean, you can't get that big unless you are cross demographic yeah. and cross category. I mean, they they appeal to everybody, I think. I'm kind of excited just to see what what they bring to the Bevalk space uh, and keep it under the under the line of a propriety um, because you know them like red bull are known for just outlandish uh extreme sports and marketing and that kind of stuff and you don't see you know you can't do that yeah Yeah. you you just can't and so um threading that needle will be interesting so all right jen well let's uh let's let our guest in quit caterolling around people want to get to the real stuff here i'll introduce the these esteemed ladies if they're knocking all right. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Hola. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to Beernet Radio. You're on the big show now, ladies. <laughs> it sounds very professional. <laughs> there we go. Well, let's do an official welcome now that you're both on. I'd like to welcome to Beernet Radio, Tara Hankinson and Leanne Darlin, founders of New York City beer company, Talea. Uh, and you guys are just a couple of years old, uh, but you're, your calling card is you're the only female and veteran-owned brewery in New York. Very cool. And you sling easy-to-love beers from a few gorgeous and enviable spots in the city including two Brooklyn tap rooms and a pop-up at Grand Central. So welcome, ladies. Well, you know, it's funny. I read that you guys have stroller parking at your brewery, and I adore that. We yeah, do. so we, we uh, both gave birth to our first children um, during the pandemic and while we were under construction. So we really felt firsthand how important it is for new moms to be able to drink. Um, <laughs> new moms and new dads. It is the hardest job we've done, hands down. It was much easier to build a business than to be a new parent. So uh, yeah, we made sure we had plenty of room for strollers and we offer stroller specials on Tuesdays. Um, so lots of babies in the tap room throughout the week, which is great. That is so awesome because I'm so sick of the debate that will never end, of course, on social media, like, do kids belong at breweries? And I'm like, these are family-owned businesses. I mean, Listen, Kim I Jordan, grew up in right? a brewery. I grew up in a bar. Yeah. And look how well I turned out. That's, yeah. that's ridiculous. <laughs> this is... These are these are how characters are made, I think. Right, right. Well, let's lay the groundwork for you guys. So tell me how many cases you guys are doing, if you could, and, and how far you're distributed. Are you mostly in New York City and outskirts so far? Yeah, so we are um, distributed in New York City and a little bit on Long Island and just north of New York City and Westchester County. 
Um, we, my mind thinks way more in barrels. So this year we're on track to probably do around 3000 to 3,500 barrels. And that's split between our on-premise tap rooms and, um, our wholesale business. So that's the equivalent, I, I believe of about 30,000 case equivalents. And so is the majority right now at your own tap rooms or is it, you know, distributed out in the market and package and draft? Uh, the volume right now I would say is probably 50, 50, or maybe it, it even leans slightly more towards wholesale volume wise. Um, but our goal is to continue to build additional tap rooms because obviously the, the margins are much better when we can sell it ourselves. And do you plan to kind of keep those in New York or can you see it expanding outside of the state and the city? So we are starting with New York City. We have a farm brewery and microbrewery license at our brewery and tap room in Williamsburg. And that license enables us to build five more tap rooms in New York City or New York State. Um, you know, the population density in New York City is just so attractive and still so untapped in our minds that we're focusing on New York City and probably one or two outside of New York City, but still commutable. And then um, make sure we perfect that before we move on to other metropolitan areas. But we do see the, a lot, you know, from what we've seen, uh, we believe the brand will carry outside of New York City. It's just that they're still entire neighborhoods with hundreds of thousands of people that don't have a good craft beer bar, let alone a craft brewery in their neighborhood. Right. No, that makes sense. So you're building the brand as a calling card in such a, you know, known entity like New York City, right? And then it can transfer anywhere theoretically, right? Yeah. Do you plan to enter other markets eventually or? We do, but we are taking our time. I think for us, we really want to establish ourselves as the best brewery in New York City with really high quality beer, a really great customer experience, and um, a brand that reaches customers beyond the typical craft beer drinker, or as we call them, the craft beer bros, who we love, but they have lots of breweries that are already uh, very much geared towards them. And so, yeah, they're, they're way overrepresented. I would say, <laughs> and, and sorry guys, my screen pooped out, uh, but uh, I'm still here listening. I know y'all are thrilled, but um, that uh, are you guys and, and continue on and then I'll go on mute, but are you guys having as bad like a uh, staffing issues as everybody else? Uh, we haven't been as impacted as the, our, our friends in the hospitality industry and the bar and restaurant industry. I think it, it is really hard to find the right managers for our team, but that's probably a combination of the market and our, the nature of being in a fast paced startup environment, which we consider ourselves just as much a startup as a craft beer brewery. Um, on the staffing front for front of house staff, we have an amazing team and we haven't had challenges filling that role, those roles. And then on the brewing side, um, we have three brewers and two other back of house team members. And three of those five started as front of house team members. And we gave them the opportunity and uh, mentored them into being one as a brewer and the other two do packaging and warehouse management and fulfillment. So that's another way. Obviously, it's a huge investment in, in financially and in time to 
train people who don't come with the experience, but it's another way we can insulate ourselves from the hiring challenges out in the market. So you guys do brew your own beer or do you contract brew the beer or like a mix? So we brew, I would say 90 to 95% of all of our beers. Uh, We have a 20 barrel system here um, with the capacity to go up to about 12 to 15,000 barrels. Um, We have one brand, our flagship brand, that's uh, so widely distributed that we wouldn't be able to brew it all here. So that is contract brewed in upstate New York. Is that sun up or? It is. Yeah. Nice. And uh, so we do some here and then a lot, most of it is done upstate. Is that like FX Matt or? A uh, single cut. Oh, okay. Cool. 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 And who's your wholesaler in the city? Is it Manhattan or? Union. Okay. Sorry. I'm batting zero here. <laughs> is it this one? No, it's this Well, one. you know, all the big players, <laughs> but right. we're not, we're not big enough yet for a lot Got of it. those. Yeah. Got it. No. Uh, well, so just one more for me and then I'll stop hogging the mic. Um, you know, I think the angle's super cool. I think especially your news tap room in Cobble Hill is just gorgeous. It's like me as a person first and a female second, I'm like, I want to go there. That is so pretty. I just want to drink somewhere super pretty. Right. Um, and your cans are so iconic. They're like very cool and graphic, um, you know, geometric, but so are you angling to appeal toward women versus beer drinkers in general, or does it matter? Like, do you target them in marketing? Um, yeah, that's absolutely what we had in mind when we set out to create this company. Um, so we've only been open here for not even a year and a half yet. So mm-hmm. we're still pretty young um, with our own brewery. And Tara and I both loved craft beer. We were both home brewers and other corporate careers before meeting each other. And both felt like, you know, we could look beyond the packaging and the masculine language on beer labels because we love the liquid. But so many of our girlfriends or moms or people in our lives, like even brothers who just didn't identify with Arrogant Bastard or other um, names and branding, um, you know, there was nothing on the shelf speaking to them. And so if you're not, if you're currently not drinking craft beer, and those are your options. Why would you ever make the leap to try a new craft beer? So part of our mission has always been to expand the craft beer consumer base beyond the typical beer bros. Um, and that is very much a rising tides raises all ships mentality um, where you know we see in our tap room, 70% of the customers are women. And that's the polar in opposite of the craft beer industry as a whole. So if we're able to also get those other women into Grimm and into um, other local Brooklyn breweries down the street from us, then it's doing a service to the entire industry that is so male dominated, like everybody knows. Um, So our packaging is not meant to be feminine, but it is meant to be playful and intriguing and possibly people people compare it more to like a sparkling water or hard seltzer can than beer. which is great because that's exactly the eye that we're trying to catch when we're sitting on the shelves with so many other breweries. Um, So very much. Do you guys do any like sparkling like waters of your own or any sort of like seltzers or RTDs or anything like that? Uh, We have hard seltzers available just on tap in our tap room as a gluten-free option, but um, otherwise haven't ventured into other product lines. Um, Hi, guys. Uh, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit more about um, y'all's background because I think I read that y'all met at a beer e-commerce startup um, and then uh, Tara, you kind of came from the wine industry before that, I think. Um, so can y'all just kind of talk about your experience and BevAlk prior to uh, starting this? Uh, sure. So 
I'll, I'll start. Um, <laughs> we, we talk about this quite a bit, but also <laughs> I have to applaud you all for doing your research. You are the most like educated interviewers we've talked to in a very long time. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> um, but um, I had very little experience with um, CPG beverage alcohol growing up. Um, my background after high school, I went to the Naval Academy and um, served in the Navy for five years. So, you know, at the Naval Academy, you would be randomly breathalyzed at night. So there was no, not a huge opportunity to really indulge in beer or any alcohol or any fun. Um, but when I was uh, in the military, I was stationed in San Diego in 2013. And that's when my eyes were kind of open to what craft beer can be. And I fell in love with it. Um, went on to um, pursue a career in corporate finance because while I loved beer, I knew nothing about it and also just loved business and finance. So I moved up to San Francisco and worked at Google for a few years. Um, but after a while, I just decided that I wanted to figure out what it took to work in craft beer and if it was actually a viable um, lifestyle since there are 9,000 in the U.S. and it's uh, wholesale is a very tricky game, um, very competitive game. So that's when I left Google to join that startup called Hopsy. Um, that was my step into craft beer. And it was great because one, it gave me exposure to the startup world. And I had to figure, I joined as their head of finance. So we raised funds from a big beer company. Um, I had to like set up liability insurance and workers comp and everything they don't teach you in business school. Um, Cause I had just finished up at Berkeley around the same time. So it was a great crash course into like startup 101. And then also we were working with multiple breweries around the area, the Bay Area. So it gave us, it gave me direct insight into like, okay, which breweries are doing really well, which ones aren't, which brands seem to resonate with our consumers online. Um, so that was my initial step into beverage and alcohol. We moved the headquarters of that company to New York City um, to be closer to a potential acquirer. And we posted a job for head of customer experience when we made that move. And that's when Tara's application came across my desk. So um, that's kind of my side of the story leading up to joining that company, Hopsy, and meeting Tara. And then I'll let Tara share hers. <laughs> yeah, Leanne and I were living parallel lives on opposite coasts. And we didn't uh, we didn't know each other until we met in April 2018. But before I took the leap to join Hopsy, I grew up in a family of ex-hospitality, ex-wine importing uh, parents who were New Yorkers and always had an appreciation for beverage. Um, but I, I ended up moving to New York City after college, working at a nonprofit, and then getting my MBA at NYU, which was my first taste of the industry doing projects for, you know, pr class projects, course law or semester long projects for Brooklyn Winery and a couple other companies. And I had a full-time job in consulting lined up, but I pitched to Wolfer Estate Vineyard in the Hamptons to work there for the summer after grad school. So I spent 10 weeks there just shadowing all the different functions and I, I loved it, but um, that was a catalyst for me to actually get interested in beer because I realized that you know, why was I so connected to this winery? And yet I loved drinking beer, but the brands and the experience that exist in the wine world, they just don't, the parallel form didn't exist in the beer world. So um, at that point, I had a couple more years of corporate 
experience. And Leanne and I were both homebrewing in our tiny apartments, hers in San Francisco, mine in New York City, um, and was ready to leave finally and put one foot into the beer world, as Leanne mentioned. So when I was at Hopsy, um, I had a team that went from two to 25 people on the customer experience side of things because it was a subscription-based business uh, with beer deliveries. And so you know, I was interested in hospitality, but there's also just this service component that's really important to a startup like that. And we believe ultimately really important to a brewery. You know, you're, we don't want to make money off of a single transaction. We want to build a long-term relationship with our customers. And that starts when they come in the door and buy a coffee in the morning and maybe they host their wedding here. And then they go to Trader Joe's and buy a four pack of sun up. Um, we really look at that kind of holistic long-term customer lifetime value instead of just trying to get someone to spend as much as much money as possible on one transaction. So um, anyway, that's how we met. And within a couple months, that was when we founded Talaya. And it took about nine months to get our first beer in market, but that was April 2019. And it was sun up and we're still, still <laughs> brewing here today. I, I got to ask, did y'all link back up with Hopsy for your own e-commerce e needs? They went under. Oh, well, shoot. Okay. Probably because we left. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Honestly, I guess our research, another, uh, our, our good um, research ended there. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. They're not, they're not the, the focal point here, but they, um, <laughs> it's a, it's a risk, right? Like being backed by a company uh, a big beer company that is so reliant on their wholesale and only their wholesale, like introducing a different business model into that uh, ultimately was just a little too rocky. Y'all do do some uh, direct to consumer um, online shipping. Uh, in the state of New York. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And is that going well? Is that? Oh, it's uh, like, it's, it's hardly any volume. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Would love it for, for it to be more, but we've put, you know, so little um, marketing or resources behind it because again, like the experience of our tap rooms is such a huge part of the brand. And yeah, we we're happy to be able to ship it to people who know it and love it and want it if they don't live near one of our tap rooms. Um, but to date, it hasn't been a huge focus for us. And I think we are both a little traumatized from our experience at Hopsy and shipping beer, period. It's a nightmare. Um, margins aren't nearly as good as what, what happens in the tap room. So um, yeah, it's a little- Yeah, beer, beer's heavy. I mean- Beer is heavy. Beer I mean, gets damaged. Right. That's beer gonna... gets left at the front door with a 12-year-old and the police right. get called on us because, you know, we've seen yeah. it all. And you, um, y'all did some self-distributing uh, at the start. So, yes. you know, good and well, that's heavy. Oh, that was <laughs> awful. <laughs> I, so, Tara and I, we quit our job. At, like, we were in stealth mode at Hopsy for a while as we were getting our license and finding a contract brewer. And then we had the beer and we were like, well, I guess we need to go around and sell it. So, we quit our jobs went to you know obviously zero pay and just pouring money into this contract brewing operation that we ultimately lost a lot of money on but um like bought a delivery van loaded up cooler backpack um with beer and went door to door around manhattan which is not easy and then convinced enough people to buy a son of i mean thank god for the craft local craft beer bars who took a chance on us in the beginning and whole foods is one of our first big customers too which did a lot for us in terms of like getting investors on board and establishing um our brand as a legitimate beer company um, oh, we, we've heard that before it seems like whole foods is a great supporter of emerging brands and 
I mean, if if you have an emerging brand, go to them first because they, they will validate your, you know, your, your ideas. Yeah. They, they took a pretty big chance with us, um, but put us into all New York city locations after our first meeting. And we still have a great relationship with them. Um, we were recently, recently their Northeast supplier of the year um, for 2020 this year, 2022. No, it was last year. It was last year. Um, we just found out. So it's but we just found out. <laughs> um, oh, congratulations. That's awesome. And y'all, yeah, y'all deal with good. Mary over there? Our, our yes, Mary. it was Mary. We dealt with Mary and Chris Maka is the local forager. I maybe shouldn't say that. I don't know. Try to protect his identity. <laughs> I know. It's a, um, I know. Writing down. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's but great though. I just can't reiterate how hard sales and distribution are. I can't say it enough. And I think it was great we did it because it gave us a really deep appreciation for those roles. Um, and since we stopped doing it ourselves, which kind of coincided with our the birth of our children in COVID, um, we have a sales manager now and just a single woman and she's a rock star. Um, and we have a phenomenal distributor who really champions our brand. So the, those were like the two best decisions we've made <laughs> to get out of that delivery van. Oh, it's terrible. Parking tickets all the time. Hundreds of dollars <laughs> yeah, let, a month and parking let tickets. Let your distributor uh, pay those, t- right. you know, deal with those parking tickets. And so, yeah, I imagine, especially in Manhattan, it's just a nightmare. Oh, and, it's a nightmare. But I you know in- what, though? I mean, you did you did go through that trial by fire and any distributors you add from now on will have t- mad respect for you because you can speak their language and you know you've been there and uh, that, uh, it was worth it, I think. It, I don't know how you feel about it. Yeah, I definitely think it was worth it because we had done a lot of a different version of sales, which is pitching to fundraise. And we were very used to pitching the brand, the idea, the business plan, the financial model, but there's nothing so humbling as seeing (laughs) someone try your beer in front of you. And, you know, since we had been in stealth mode and since we were nobodies, you know, no, no one knew who we were. It's not like we were leaving uh, one of the big beer brands, one of the big well-known craft beer brands to start our own brewery. Um, we're not even the brewers. We had a, a brewer, uh, on the team, but that was really humbling. And like Leanne said, it just makes us appreciate because we've grown the business so organically, we've done almost every role. We were the general managers for the first six months or so of being open, which we are grossly underqualified to be doing that. But now like we know how hard it is to manage essentially a, a bar or restaurant. Um, so it's, it's, it's been really fun though. We had a lot more quality time on those delivery days, I will say. Oh yeah. And now we're like, when we're scouting new locations, we look at the staircases and the basement (laughs) and we're like, Hmm, how much are, how much is union beer going to hate us if they distribute to us? Just because I'm kidding. They they wouldn't hate us. They're very tolerant of us, but I mean, it's dangerous out there. I mean, and you know, when I used to deliver beer, listen to me, like an old man, when I used to deliver beer back in the nineties, now we, you know, we took cash. So we had safes on the truck. So we were just robbed constantly. And it oh was, my gosh, you know, we, we'd lose one or two drivers a year. 
when I say lose, I mean murdered. Um, it was what? <laughs> yeah, this was in Houston uh, back in the '90s. But uh, now we, you know, most distributors don't take cash anymore. So that's jeez. Um, so but you God. know, you still have you still have beer on the trucks, and people love to steal beer. So it is dangerous. <laughs> I mean, we got catcalled a lot, which is grossly inappropriate. Because uh, yeah, that's I mean number, that never happened to me. Strange. Better than being murdered, though. Right. <laughs> yes. Slightly. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's well, good. That's a uh, well. Uh, let me let me get off the mic because I don't even have my video on. But yeah, Jen, you go. You go. Okay. Th Sorry thanks. about that. <laughs> thanks, Dad. I, I don't know how you guys did that. I lived in New York City. Well, in in Long Island City for four years, and I refuse to even drive in Manhattan. It's like a video game with it's stakes awful. that are way too high. So I don't know how you did that. Um, but how was it? I mean, you basically started during COVID, right? What What was that like? Wasn't planned. Uh <laughs> So we signed a lease on our space, um, our brewery and our first tap room in November 2019. So we had raised um, enough funds to start the build out and we eventually had to augment with an SBA loan um, to complete it. But we, it was too far when the, when the pandemic happened, there was no turning back. We had already raised a few million dollars from investors. Um, we had signed this lease and we were very, very fortunate to see how the other craft breweries in New York city were adapting and surviving. So seeing them figure it out, um, gave us confidence that we could do the same if we needed to. But we went through a pretty massive overhaul of the budget of the space and cut costs significantly because we had no idea if we when we open the doors, do we even need to buy chairs? Like, are people even going to be allowed to sit inside? Um, or, you know, like we didn't realize when we signed on to the space, we're on a corner on the bottom floor. So we have an absurd amount of outdoor seating that wasn't a thing before the pandemic. So like we didn't th even think about outdoor furniture, but now that's going to be our only, um, you know, meaningful source of revenue. So it was, we spent that time, one, quarantined um, in our apartments and two, giving birth. Um, we totally paused our distribution operation because it was the two of us and we didn't know what was going on. Um, and I could barely lift a case anymore. Um, but we just persevered. And luckily, when we opened our doors, it was around the same month that vaccinations started to roll out. And fortunately, New Yorkers were just itching to go somewhere and drink and socialize. And so there were still a lot of restrictions in place when we opened. Um, but we did, we were able to do really, really well. Is that when, when you open those doors, is that when you realize like, okay, I think we're going to be all right? Or did it come later? I don't think that happened until the last couple of months when we opened our second and third spaces. I think just because there's so much volatility being a new business that's opening in tandem with New York City just opening. You know, when we opened, it was 25% indoor capacity. No one could sit at the bar. Um, no one had been going out to dine or drink for months. And so we also didn't even know how well known our brand was like what the brand awareness was in New York City because all of our customers had shut down for six months the year prior um, but now that we have the space open that you mentioned in Cobble Hill and we have a pop-up at Grand Central that's an outdoor beer garden that will be operating through um, probably early November I think that's given us both the financial security but also 
has shown us that we can open more than one space in a different neighborhood with serving a different purpose to that audience and the idea translates and all the things that need to work well for it also translate like we still have great staff and we still can make the experience ours even when it's at a beer garden type place where it's still it's a more transactional experience than we'd prefer but those customers are commuters and they want to have a beer or two and jump on the train and that you know that space works for us so I mean we're still in it's still a delicate balance and there are still weekends where Leanne and I have to work in the tap room or um, days when we are the ones running to the bodega to get pretzels because Baldor shorted our order. And that's fine. I, I definitely don't feel like we've made it, but I think um, combining with, you know, the traction we've got on, gotten on the wholesale side and on the tap room side, we feel way more confident. And I think generally we're also pretty risk averse people. So our standards for what success are, are pretty, pretty high. Nice. How did you secure that uh, pop-up by Grand Central? I mean, that is primo real estate, great marketing. We have a broker who is a hungry, young little hustler. He found our brewery space. He found Cobble Hill. And we were originally trying to get a kiosk at the on the food, the dining concourse at Grand Central. Um, but at the last minute, the, the people who managed that space said they couldn't give it to an alcohol vendor. So we were just walking around in the middle of winter and Tara knew that that corner that we now occupy used to be an outdoor beer bar. So we kind of like walked around and security made us leave because they were like, there were barriers up and we had just kind of broke our way in. But our broker ended up finding the person, the group that managed it. And we worked a deal where it's just um, a revenue share deal. And they really wanted it, the only female founded brewery in New York City in the space. So awesome. um, it is an anomaly. And has been awesome. I mean, it's like it's plastic cups, it's high volume, it's just the commuter crowd. It's a very easy operation compared to the massive investment we've made in our other two spaces. So if we could replicate it, we would. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a special deal there. Nice. Cool. Well, that's all I've got, but I just, you know, we'll definitely be watching you guys because it sure seems like it's got a lot of promise and I want some of those beers. So cheers, ladies. I don't know if Harry or Jordan have anything else. No, I'm, I'm good. That was fascinating. I, I really do appreciate y'all being on. Yeah, thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone. See ya.